listening to the Keefe to the City podcast. Here's Neil Keefe. All right, so the baseball offseason is officially underway with the GM meetings having taken place in Phoenix, and uh, the Yankees even, even got themselves off to a little start uh, trading away Francisco Cervelli, who I had a uh, sort of a love-hate relationship with uh, during his time with the Yankees, and uh, they make a couple additions to the bullpen in the process. Still missing out on uh, the biggest needs in what I believe, you know, in the rotation, uh, some serious need in the bullpen, which they could have taken care of uh, before last season. We'll get to that. And certainly the bats um, in the order and the big hole glaring at shortstop. So a lot of Yankees needs, um, a lot of things need to be taken care of between now and, you know, the next hundred whatever days it is to pitchers and catchers. And I'm sure some of those needs will be taken care of over the next six weeks before Christmas. And uh, to kick things off and then get the podcast rolling back after a little hiatus is uh, JJ from Barstool Sports New York. Uh, you can read him on Barstool Sports New York and hear him on KFC Radio. JJ, it's been a while since we've talked. What's going on, man? How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. I know that, you know the last time we talked, uh, we were basically just you know going to Yankees games, watching the end of Derek Jeter's career, and. Here we are a couple weeks uh, later, uh, you know, the World Series is over, the Yankees miss out on the playoffs for a second season in a row, and it's uh, it's another sort of gloomy offseason because, like last offseason, I guess there's no real, uh, you know, there's no, you can't get a real feel for what's going to happen in, in 2015 with this team, and uh, it, I guess it really could go, you know, really well or, or really poorly, and, and that's what happened exactly a year ago from now. Yeah, I mean, I think the last time that I was on the podcast, we had convinced ourselves that we were making the playoffs. Like We were still like five games out, but it was definitely going to happen. And I know we ran into each other at the stadium a bunch of times uh, after that and drank our way into uh, the realization that that was not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this offseason, it's an interesting one because – we can't just say, you know, we're not just going out and getting John Lester because he's the best, you know, free agent pitcher out there, and we're not going out and getting Sandoval, even though long-term it wouldn't make any sense, but, like, it might help next year. Uh, I think we're we're being a little smarter. I hope we're being a little cheap. It's, uh, it, it's a tough way to put it. Um, I, have, I have a theory that Cashman got a three-year deal because that's what's left on the bad contracts. We've got, in three years, you'll have Sherrod gone, Spathia gone, A-Rod gone, Beltran gone, McCann will almost be gone. There'll still be some Ellsbury left, but if we were to not bring Cashman back, who wants to be the GM of the Yankees right now? <laughs> it's not really an appealing job, because you're tied up in all this, you know, all these contracts. You can't even do anything. Uh, but, if let's say they give Cashman some money to spend this off season uh, to see, hey, can you take what you have and sign nothing longer than you know three four year deals and still you know figure out staying around our normal budget if you can get a winner, you know whether it's bringing back McCarthy and Headley, um, maybe you know finding another starter out there, um, figuring out what's going on with the bullpen and hoping that some of these guys deliver that hadn't in the past or haven't last year. 
then you can make a run at it. Then maybe there's a little more money for a trade or something like that during the season. But I think if that doesn't happen, Cashman kind of becomes the lame duck, and we're looking at a few years of futility as we just let these contracts expire. Then you've got, you know, we open the purse strings in three years, bring in a new GM, uh, and, you know, then it's it's a great job because there's the Yankee money but not the Yankees commitment that's already been there. So that's kind of my initial theory as to where we're going this offseason and possibly the next few years. And it, it doesn't sound great, but uh, I think it's realistic. Well, you go back to six uh, Novembers, Decembers ago, six off seasons ago when they missed the playoffs for the first time since – 1993 and they go out and everyone knew they were going to get Sabathia and they had to outbid themselves to get him because he wanted to stay on the west coast and uh it was going to take a lot of money and and they gave him to they gave it to him they gave him 161 million dollars and then later they gave him some more money because he could opt out and then they gave AJ Burnett 82 and a half million dollars which you know I wasn't a fan of at the time because really he had come off that one year like and I guess people say it's a good year but it was like he had a four like Oh nine year A and he led the league in strikeouts, but he still didn't even have you know that great of a year otherwise. And and then they got Mark Teixeira when it was like he was going to go to the Red Sox, so they spend you know half billion dollars that off season. And and I think everyone instantly was like, well, they're the best team. And I remember their over under wins was set at they did they won one hundred and three in two thousand nine. Their over under was set like right around there, like one hundred two, one hundred four, and that's just absurd because now you know in this day and age with parity and the five wild cards and you know there's not a great discrepancy from the from like you know the top teams to the worst teams. You get like a ninety two win team in over unders in Vegas at the beginning of the year. It's pretty uh, impressive. So I mean that team was expected to be a powerhouse and they were and they won the World Series. And then you look at what happened last off season when pretty much same thing. You know they missed the playoffs. Uh, the Red Sox win the World Series, so it's basically a perfect storm for them to go out and spend more money and break their whole uh, little, you know, we're going to stay under the luxury tax threshold, and they didn't do that, and they spent a half billion dollars again, and this time they spent it pretty poorly, at least, you know, when you go back and you, you know, second second guess every move they make, uh, certainly everyone wanted Tanaka, he got hurt, um, everyone wanted McCann, he wasn't good, everyone wanted Beltran and the way they wanted him, you know, nine years ago, and he was terrible, and then Ellsbury was sort of split, um, and I thought that they could have, you know, I thought, the thing with them is they always nickel and dime their own players, they like pinch their pennies when it comes to, you know, Derek Jeter, or when they, Bernie Williams was two seconds away from signing with Boston, you know, well, you know, 12, 14 years ago, whenever that was, because they would want to nickel and dime him, and and now they, here they are with, you know, they, they did it to Cano and he left and he went and got more money and they could have used the money, you know, they gave to Ellsbury combined with the money they gave Bell, uh, McCann and signed Cano because the one spot they were deep at is catcher and they went out and got a catcher anyway. So they, they screwed over Cano and now here they are with their one, you know, elite reliever to go with Patances and the Royals showed you what you need to win in the playoffs in this day and age is elite relievers. And now they're going to nickel and dime David Robertson and he's probably going to walk out the door as well. I mean, hopefully they're not going to nickel and dime him. I think the I'm happy he didn't take the qualifying offer. You don't want to pay him fifteen point whatever two million dollars a year. I think if we could find a two three year deal for him, that makes sense. But Tapple bond money, I just think he's trying to cash in at the end of really the the closer era. There's not really those dominant closers that we saw in like Rivera and you know, Hoffman and even Papelbon a few years ago and Eric Gagne years ago, that he, he's trying to cash in at the end of that, which makes sense. Get, go out, get your money. 
but to make him the highest paid closer there is out there when, I mean, our, my last memory of him is blowing, you know, the Jeter's last home game. I mean, he blew <laughs> a lot of saves at the end of it. If there's, you can't give a guy $15 million that's going to piss down his own leg 10 times a year um, in a big situation. And that was, that Jeter home game was as close to the playoffs atmosphere we've seen in the past two years. So I feel like if we have to let him go, if he, you know, if he wants huge money that's unrealistic, I'm happy to let him go and see what happens with the Kansas. I think this trade we made yesterday uh, for Cervelli for Justin Wilson, I think he could be a good piece of our bullpen. He tops out somewhere around 98 miles an hour. He's got some control problems, but if that's something that they can figure out, getting to throw more strikes. I think he walked like 30 guys in like 60 innings last year, but if we can figure that out, um, I think now we've got a really good bullpen going forward, even if Robertson isn't there. Um, I think if we do hold on to Robertson, the Kansas becomes more of a trade piece for the first half of next year. Well, I think the thing with Robertson is that, you know, he did have one year as a closer role, went 39 for 44, and the whole closer role, if we weren't fans of the team that, you know, was the place where Mariano Rivera spent his career, we'd probably, you know, have a much different view of it. But, to the, you know, it's kind of insane that managers manage to a statistic and that, you know, closers are only used in the ninth inning with a run, you know, a lead of three runs or less. And you look at what happened in the World Series in that, uh, when was that, game four or five when the Royals blew that huge lead they had early on because they went to their crap relievers in the middle innings instead of going to their elite relievers because they wanted to save them for seven, eight, nine, and it cost them. And to think, you know, two days ago, I believe Joe Girardi made a comment where he said, um, someone asked him about, you know, this Yankees team in comparison to what happened with the Royals, and he said, you know, we were close to winning the World Series, and and at first, I, before I read the whole thing, I was like, well, what what are you talking about, Joe? And he said we they missed the playoffs by four games, the wild card, and the Royals were that wild card team that won the World or got to the World Series, uh, excuse me. So he's saying we were basically four games away from being in their spot, and that's true. And that's why, as a fan, you know, I believe a game on April 18th is just as important as the game on you know September 7th, and and it also goes to the fact that. These guys like Robertson, like Batances, shouldn't only be used in these roles as closer. Like he shouldn't only come in, you know, to get the save. But I understand that's more of a, a grand baseball problem than it's than it is going to get fixed with just the Yankees. But when you look at Robertson, he was so good as a setup guy. Um, he was so good, you know, being that fireman coming in with second and third and one out or needing a big strikeout. And he sort of transitioned well into the closer role. I mean, he had a good year. He didn't have an outstanding year. Um, his ERA was a little inflated because he had a couple games where he just got absolutely crushed. And it took him so long to even work that ERA back down. But I think you need him. I think when you look at this bullpen, how bad it was this year when you didn't have him and Batances in games and you had to rely on Sean Kelly or David Huff or Matt Daly or when Rich Hill got called onto the team or, you know, any bender guy that, you know, we ended up putting in our everybody gets a chance to be on the Yankees team. I think there's only so many of the elite guys that go around. You mentioned the new guys and how they have control problems. And maybe if we can fix their control problems, it'll be better. But if they can't, it's like we're going in this in the next season with the same situation we had this season. I think that's a good point. I think there's there's got to be a a good number that you know if, if it's three years, thirty mil. Um, I'm comfortable with that. I think Robertson deserves somewhere around like ten million dollars a year. 
But and I don't really see there being a huge market for him to drive it up to, you know, Papel Bond numbers. Uh, but you know, hopefully they figure it out because I would like him to stay. I think he's a good Yankee. He's good, um, you know, for the organization. He's good in the community and all that stuff. But you don't want to see us committing to huge deals um, for a guy who does play one inning. I mean, for Mariano, I was always fine with it because he's the best to ever do it. You can't give a guy who's, you know, not close to the best to ever do it, but still good at it, more money than the guy who was the best. No, I agree with that. And I think the other thing is, you know, you mentioned three for 30. I think he's going to end up getting more than that. And it is insane that, you know, a guy who pitches one inning sometimes um, can command that much money. But if the Yankees, you know, if you heard that they gave him something like five years, $60 million, would you be upset about that? Um, no, I wouldn't, I, no, I wouldn't be upset about that. See, I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of people would. And my whole thing is always like, well, it's not my money. I don't, if, if I heard tomorrow, they gave David Robertson $85 million is, I don't care because it's like I'm not the person that gives it to him and everyone gets worried about, well, then they can't spend it on other things, which we know isn't true because last year of all the years they said they couldn't spend this number and they went out and spent, gave everybody a hundred plus million dollar deal. So it just seems to me like don't let this guy walk because of, you know, that one extra year or, you know, $12 million more because it's just, it's just not worth it. And, and these, and I, I do think that someone is crazy enough to give him a lot of money because the, it's a copycat you know, type of league and everyone sees that the Royals got to the World Series with a shutdown bullpen and these you know, elite relievers with crazy strikeout per nine numbers are far and few between. And that's why I think some team out there, um, you know, whether it's the Cubs who now are, you know, they need pitching desperately to go with their young hitters and they're willing to, you know, throw around their money or uh, maybe the Dodgers after they watch what happened for their quick exit and how bad their pulled pen was. But it just seems to me like there is a team out there that's going to be willing to go the extra mile. And I think a year ago, we never thought the Seattle Mariners uh, would be the team of any team to give $240 million to Cano. So I feel like teams are willing to spend the money if the if the player's right. And I feel like when it comes to bullpen help, Robertson is, is one of those players. I think... My main thing with the Robertson contract, uh, if we can pull it together, is that it's something that's tradable. Because let's say it, what I'm saying about Cashman is right, and that in a year or two years, he's not going to have that money spent, and we're just going to say, let's let these contracts play out, bring in someone who maybe has a different philosophy, whatever it may be, and let them go out, spend money, build their own team. We're going to be looking at a few years of bad baseball where there aren't save opportunities. And you don't want to have a guy who could be saving games that's not saving games uh, sitting there making money that is untradeable. Whereas us, uh, we do have to kind of give up at one point in you know two years. I'd like to see something where we can still get some prospects back. Uh, it's a manageable contract to trade. You don't want to, I just don't want to see us get tied up in another you know, A-Rod untradeable contract with a guy who only plays one inning. I agree. I just feel like one of those things where they already know what he is. They know what he does in New York. He's been here his whole career. Um, They have a purpose for him. They have a set spot for him. And if they do get him, the scary proposition that you brought up about trading Batances, which is just 
I can't even envision that at this point because he's like you know the only young you know stud studly player they have. So I mean, if they had to give him up, that would be a heartbreaker. But I guess when you look at it um, for the way he throws and everything, eventually down the line, he's probably going to miss a year at some point, which is terrible to say. But that's just the way things go for guys uh, you know throw 100 miles an hour. But yeah, I don't. I I, I really wouldn't want them to trade Batances. Yeah. No. I mean, I agree. I think he, he's a good story especially being from New York, um, hard thrower, putting up numbers. You can't really argue with that. And But he is the only cheap, very reliable piece that we have out there. The other one being not necessarily cheap, but Gardner. I mean, but the hope is that we can pull something together to have a good team this year, make the playoffs. Everyone hits the way they're supposed to. You know, you look at McCann, he did start to pick it up in the second half. Maybe there's an adjustment coming in New York. Uh, Beltran was hurt basically the entire year. Maybe catering to that a little more, understanding what his limits are, um, and then hopefully something happens to Sashara where we just get insurance money back and he never has to play again. I know you personally (laughs) would throw a party for that. (laughs) I I would. I mean, he has to be... I was asked a question recently uh, who I don't like more, uh, Mark Desher or Nick Swisher, or who was worse. I can't remember what the – I tweeted. I don't remember exactly what the question was. I guess it's basically the same question. And it was – I don't have an answer to that because and, – and if I do have an answer, I guess it's Desher by a little, little, little bit. But uh, it would only be because of that Game 2 2009 ALDS walk-off home run, which was – you know, a 314-foot, you know, ball that was eight feet off the ground the entire time that would have just been off the wall for a single with his speed in any other stadium. But um, so that's really the only thing that kept him apart from Nick Swisher. But, I mean, Teixeira is just a disaster. His his contract's a disaster. Um, his first, you know, I guess his first year was really good because he came second MVP that won the World Series. He didn't help in the postseason at all. He was, you know, a detriment to their postseason success. And then the next two years, he was all right, and now he's just a train wreck. He gets hurt. I mean, last year he was on the DL. He, he missed games with you know everything from his wrist to a rib cage to a lat to lightheadedness. He missed the game because he said his legs were tired from uh, standing on the bases. Um, in his free time, you know, he's trying to be Johnny Carson on the Yes Network website, making like three to five minute Tonight Show videos. Uh, and and now there's you know there's been reports that other people in the clubhouse think he's soft. And, you know, feel like he won't battle through to play, which is obvious. I mean, I don't think you need, you know, sources or anonymous people to say that. And now there's also rumors that the Yankees ownership is, like, upset that his off-the-field endeavors, like his, I know he has, uh, he's got a lot of investments and, and such. And, frozen and yogurt. What's that? Like, he's like the frozen yogurt king of off town, I think. <laughs> exactly. And so, it's yeah, he's got. That or smoothies or something Yeah, he's like got, that. like, a little chain thing going it. on, and he's got some other things, and he's more worried about, you know, that career rather than his baseball career, which is the one that's paying him to fund all these endeavors. And I know before, um, let, let me see when that was. It was before two, it was before the 2013 season. Um, he did an interview with the wall street journal and I wrote about it. And in February, 2013, basically he was saying, you know, I don't care if I hit 200, if I get my home runs and RBIs and I'm never going to play a full season again. Just admitting like everything you don't want to hear from a guy who makes $22.5 million a year, $138,000 a game. And to go into this season knowing that that's our starting first baseman again is just, it's just terrible. And, and you know, when I, we started this podcast, my original thing was to 
to start off with what I guess we'll finish with. So we're kind of going backwards here, but now we gotta now we gotta bring this into A Rod, who could be not only the backup third baseman if they get Headley, and hopefully they do because then A Rod's gonna be the starting third baseman. But now he could be the backup first baseman as well, and sort of a, a super super you know could have been a Hall of Fame utility guy here now if A Rod comes back and he's spelling you know Mark Deshare and Chase Headley to give them breaks on some days. Well, personally. I don't know um, if you've noticed from Twitter or anything, but uh, I'm an A Rod guy. Oh yeah, I am too. Well, I've always, I've always been up and down, but at this point, I it's like you just ride it out. You might as well be an A Rod guy because um, I mean, what is the, like? There's nothing left for people to get on him about. I mean, the the stories now are just out of control. You know, I remember when it was him having prostitutes and, and hookers into his apartment building and sunbathing on ge- the days of games in Central Park and then going 0 for 4. And now, you know, we're hearing about him being on his uh, cousin's floor as like sort of a power move to set the tone. And so really, as the stories at this point, it's like, wh- what wouldn't you believe from this guy? I mean, I think that whoever is his PR team or whatever it is, they've done a terrible job. And now what <laughs> they need to do is just embrace that. There's some people, he's tried his whole life to just be really like, he's tried to be Derek Jeter, and haven't we all? But he never, it just never clicked. It's never worked. Even when he was like a young superstar in Seattle, everyone liked him. Then he signed a huge contract. No one likes him. Then he's a Yankee. No one likes him. Then he opts out, signs a bigger contract. No one likes him. Then he's taking steroids. No one likes him. He just needs to embrace it. He needs to become the bad guy. He needs to just embrace it. Some of us weren't meant to be good guys. And he needs to (laughs) embrace it, that I'm the baddest guy around, but I'm here to hit home runs. And I I honestly think he's going to have a good season. Because the guy, he didn't take steroids for the money. I mean, yeah, that definitely helps. But everything I'm hearing, and everything I truly believe, is that he just wanted to be the best baseball player ever. If along with that, all this money came... At a certain point, like after $100 million, it doesn't even matter anymore what you're making. So I think he's, we keep hearing about the two-a-days he's doing. We're not seeing a lot of him in public. Uh, yeah, maybe he's on the sideline of a football game here or there, but he's not out talking to the media. He's not out at nightclubs. We just hear he's working out and going to football games. And I think to try to prove everyone wrong, he's going to come in, and be a productive hitter. Now, is he going to be a $27 million hitter? No, of course not. But I think he can come in and hit, you know, 25 home runs, close to 300. If people are on base, I think he could drive in close to 100 runs. Um, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but again, I'm an A-Rod <laughs> guy. I'm cheering for the bad guy, and I would love to just see him sticking in everyone's face. I'm the guy who goes out the first Friday March Madness because I want to see a one seed beat a sixteen seed by like forty points. <laughs> so I, I want to like I want to see Duke do that every year. Of course they never do, but I want to see the bad guy win. It makes for better TV. And if we don't have the guarantee that we're going to have a World Series caliber team, we could we could have a playoff team. We could finish fifteen games out. At least let's make it entertaining. Because at the end of the day, I don't buy into the whole idea that. An A-Rod distraction is going to cost this team. Uh, the, all the guys over 35 are what's going to cost this team, not one guy. But it will be based on, uh, you know, what he does is how the, you know, the uh, the media will 
try to draw it up as is as if he's the issue on the team rather than all the other bad contracts. But uh, like you said, you know, you sort of gave a mini timeline of this past and the things that um, have gone so poorly for him. And I thought things would have changed after they won in 09 because he single-handedly carried them through that postseason, uh, you know, carried them in the LDS with the big home run off Joe Nathan, destroyed the Angels himself, um, had that big home run in, in game four of the uh, of the World Series to sort of turn that game around, the one that hit the camera in right field. And I thought everything would change after that because he was, you know, a champion. He was a winner. He did win. But I guess if it's taught us anything, you know, if you look at what's happened with guys like Peyton Manning or LeBron James, uh, when you're considered the best or when you're the highest paid, it doesn't matter if you win once. It's that people expect you to do it every single year. So I guess... You know, I've always said that A-Rod's only as good as his last at-bat, and if he gets a hit, he'll be cheered until, you know, two innings later when he comes up again, and then if he strikes out, he gets booed. So, you know, it's every at-bat is dissected for him to the point where his entire season becomes just, a like, basically 600 seasons. Every time he steps to the plate, is like a mini-season for him, and uh, it's just something he has to deal with, and, you know, he's, he's done it to this point. He hasn't done it well, clearly, because he got caught with steroids again, but... Um, the last time he got in trouble for steroids, they went on to win the World Series. So maybe this is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, is the media fair to him? No, not at all. But you know what? He can't really complain. He go cry in a pile of money. <laughs> he's got, you know, he's got to deal with it, and he knows that. And I think, I think he handles it shockingly well. I'm totally everything he said lying. Of course, you do that. His hand was forced. Everyone else was taking performance-enhancing drugs in the 90s and early 2000s, so of course he did. Then he signed these huge contracts, was held up to these high standards, and then everyone started getting busted for it. He kind of got busted, admitted to it, but he still had to produce at that level, so he found another way around it to live up to that contract. I personally think it should be legal. Put whatever in your body you want. I don't really care. The game is more exciting that way, but (laughs) he is just trying to live up to that contract. So, of course, he's going to take steroids. But then then people are going to start to rat on him. He's trying to keep it clean. So, of course, you've got to lie. You've got to go on Francesca and say that you didn't do it. You've got to look Francesca in the eye and say you didn't do it. Then once it comes down to the DEA and you hear everyone else is ratting on you, he was the prize for Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball got Bosch, got his cousin, all to rat on him. Because that was the big thing they wanted. The government doesn't want A-Rod. The government wants the guy who is distributing drugs to all of these people. So, of course, you flip on him. And now, hopefully, this stuff kind of peters out a little bit. He doesn't pee on anyone's floor for a couple weeks or whatever it may be. So we can get through the holidays and through January, get him in the training camp and see what he has. Of course, you know, if he goes 0 for 2 in his first spring training game, everyone's going to be all over him. I mean, that's, those aren't even preseason games. It's Now he's got, with his preseason at bats, he's got 650 seasons. <laughs> well, you did mention how uh, he actually does handle it well. And that you have to give him credit because his entire career, he's never really, he's never freaked out on anyone. He's never gone insane in the clubhouse and media people. He acts just like you would want your favorite player or a role model or a team leader or a captain to act. It's just that everyone hates him, and it's, it's, it is unfair because he's the guy who, after each game, you know, I, I do believe, you know, if A-Rod went 4-for-4 four four and, you know, had two doubles and two home runs and the Yankees lost, you know, 
fifteen to three, he would be happy. He would be more content that he had a great day than that the team lost. I don't think he really cares, but at least he always says the right thing. He always says, you know, oh, I had a, you know, it doesn't matter what I did, we lost, and that's not the goal. The goal is to win, and and he always says the right thing, and that's all you can ask for people. And whether you buy it or not, he does just exactly what all the people that people like do. But because it's a rod, and because of everything that goes along with being a rod, people hate him for it, and it's kind of it's pretty fucked up. Yeah, I mean, he gets, you know, it's always been all these things throughout his career. Like, him and Jeter, they were both banging the same amount of girls at the same time. It's just his girls could bench press 250. <laughs> like, he likes them a little masculine, whatever. But everyone jumps all over that. And that's because he's naturally a heel. He's just a bad guy. Ric Flair was never a good guy in wrestling. He was never supposed to be one. You just got to embrace that. Smiling, profiling, wheeling, and dealing. That's who A-Rod should be. And that's why I have, every day from last week until opening day, I'm tweeting at A-Rod, asking my followers to retweet it. I'm trying to get him to come to the plate to Razor Ramon's theme music. Because he's (laughs) a bad guy, and he just needs to embrace it. I think people would love it if he just said, fine, you want me to be the bad guy? I'll be the bad guy. I'll come in, I'll have a, a smug attitude when I talk to the media. That's totally fine. What worse can they write about him? They're writing about him peeing on people's floors. Like, that's, does it get worse? They could make up rape accusations. Like, that's the only other place they could go with this. Do you so, believe, do you think he peed on the floor? I mean, that's a, I hope he did. Because that <laughs> is so, like, just so far-fetched. As a guy who is, a guy who keeps it together... And is he's very soft spoken. You know, he's never totally flipped out, like you said. Um, even when he got in like the fight with Veritech, you know, it's ah, I pushed your face. When he slapped Bronson Arroyo's glove, like that was a Nancy slap. But to, the idea of him in probably some kind of like a pink shirt or just <laughs> like an A Rod color Nancy shirt walking into someone's house and just pulling it out and peeing on the floor is amazing. And, you know, it's not, we always see it in movies and it's like some kind of thug in like a basketball jersey, like doing something like that. But he's probably in like khaki colored capri pants (laughs) and like a very fluorescent shirt and with a cigar in his mouth. And it's, it's amazing. The thing thing that I don't get is that if someone did that to you, why would you tell anybody and were they like were they like sitting at their kitchen table and while he did it like were they still like what if if uh you know in your if KFC came to your apartment and it was like hey JJ I'm peeing on your floor aren't you going to try to stop him like wasn't the cousin like trying to push him or or make him like what uh, down it's not like they stood around and watched him like you know destroy their kitchen yeah like i don't i don't know the exact timeline but he got he gave his cousin 900 grand if this was after you already have the 900 grand, like, start throwing punches, cause a scene. Like, get the police called. But what, I couldn't imagine just sitting there and being like, oh, my God. Like, I'm terrified of A-Rod's blue lips. I'm not going to stop him. And, like, and who cleaned it up? Like, who cleaned up A-Rod's pee? That's what I want to know. And with all the stuff we heard of, um, like, all the, the Roger Clemens stuff, with, like, Brian McNamee, like, held on to, like, syringes and swabs for, like, for, for forever. I'm surprised no one 
bottled a little bit of that tea and was just like, look, we've got this tested. This is A-Rod P. It's from my floor. You're going to get a little bit of Lysol and a whole lot of A-Rod P. You could tell that was my floor. I think the worst part is that after all the things that happened in 2009 when his cousin was, uh, you know, identified as the guy who supposedly provided him with steroids or hooked him up with the people and or at least was the fall guy back then, it just seems to me like, you know, A-Rod does make really bad decisions and the worst decision of his life is to continue to associate with the person who is his cousin or if he is, I don't know if he's really his cousin. I don't even know how what his relationship is to him, but... uh it it just seems like when you see pictures of this guy, and I know you wrote about it, and you know he's walking around with like his mesh shorts and uh, like a Bluetooth on, and it's just like, is that the guy that you're gonna trust to you know put things or inject things into your body uh, when you're supposed to be a world class athlete? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know because we are talking about drugs, and like if I order drugs, that's the guy that I want to show. <laughs> I want that guy to show up. Because people who walk around with Bluetooth in their ear all the time are literally the least busy people in the world. No one's ever <laughs> calling them. And they're always available to do what you need them to do. They can easily be bought. He's, he looks like a rat. It's amazing. I don't get his whole thing of... The whole thing where he asked A-Rod for $5 million was that... You know, my life is ruined. I'm banned from baseball clubhouses. You know, yeah, it's like what you're. It's like you're not a manager or a player. So who can, like it didn't affect your life. Your only tie to baseball was your cousin, who uh, you helped screw over, or he. You know, you were part of him screwing himself over. So it's not like it's not like you're a, a beat writer. You need to be in the clubhouses, and now you can't no longer. You know, you can no longer. Uh, you know, make a living. It's not like, oh well, I got into this instead of going to Harvard Business School, Alex. So I probably need about $5 million. I've never even heard the guy talk. It's probably ridiculous. I imagine it being kind of high pitched. Isn't that weird that no one, we've only, I mean, there's only like five pictures of him that the Daily News and the Post use, and that's all the ones, you know, people take off their sites to use on other sites. So it's it's like kind of weird that he has played such a major role in the steroid era of baseball, which has basically been the last 20 years, and he's like, an iconic figure and name now from it. And no one has ever heard the guy speak or like really give like a quote or an interview. It just, it's kind of weird. It's almost like he doesn't exist outside of like five pictures of him. He's really, if you look at the way he looks and the way he dresses, he is the Dominican version of, what was it? Bella Caratoli, whatever the, the coach who caught, who carried the girl, the broken ankle in the 96 Olympics. But <laughs> like just, He's wearing a tracksuit. He's got a mustache. You're not sure if he's maybe touching kids. Like, everything's a little uncomfortable. And that is, that's A-Rod's cousin. <laughs> Did you see what his wife looks like? I, I, the only thing I know about her is that she said, you know, he urinated on our floor. He's a monster or something like that. She looks like the Snooky when they, like, took Snooky and put her on South Park. And it was like a monster <laughs> like that. That's what this woman looks like. <laughs> Everything about this guy's life sucks. He should just pack it up and start selling cocaine because he <laughs> would probably be the best at that. Well, the thing with A-Rod is that, you know, he still does have his three years left, and I don't know what to expect. I mean, you think he's going to have a good season. I'd like to hope he has a good season or at least can contribute in some way because uh, 
it'd only be that much worse if he's, you know, making it out every single time he comes to the plate or gets to the point where, like, he's Steven Drew and they just try to hide him on the bench somewhere because they own the money and people are going to pay. And the, that's the thing is that people are like, well, why don't they release him and, you know, give themselves some good PR? It's like releasing a is not going to give the team good PR. It's just going to make – you know, more of a story that they're going to have to answer more questions of why did you release him? You owe him $61 million. And to them, they don't care about all the baggage because he's already done his, you know, he served his suspension. They're not expecting anything out of him. So if he does well, it's just a, you know, a plus at this time. It's like extra bonus and they have to pay him no matter what. And he's their drawing card. I mean, now that Jeter's gone, people who weren't going to go watch Yankees games because they're not Yankees fans or, or the team's not going to be as good as they, you know, were for those 15 years. Uh, this is the reason to go is to go watch A-Rod and go see, you know, what he will or won't do. And the Yankees front office knows that and they're not stupid. And people just, you know, guys like Brett Gardner and Chase Headley and uh, the, you know, the shadow of Carlos Beltran, those guys aren't going to sell tickets. It's, it's A-Rod who's going to sell tickets. And that's the number one reason why they're not going to get rid of him. I mean, A-Rod hasn't been healthy in years. So now we just gave him a year off. If anything, he's going to be better than what we thought we were going to get with a 40-year-old, $27 million a year baseball player. Like, it's just, we knew he was going to suck at this point. We knew it was going to happen. It's just, we were, were tied to the contract. So why not let him do it? And there's no reason for the Yankees to get good PR. We give to the troops and all of that stuff, all of the stuff everyone else does. But the Yankees can't get good PR. We're the Yankees. We're the evil empire. We buy the biggest players who do God knows We've got the most steroid people, like, ever. And th- there's not just overleasing A-Rod. We're like, hey, good for them. No one, It's not going to turn people's opinion on the Yankees. And anyone who says, well, I'm not going to go buy a ticket because... A-Rod's still on that team. It's a bad example for my kids. But no, it's just because baseball games are expensive to bring your kids to. You're just using that as an excuse <laughs> to tell your kid why you won't buy him cotton candy at the gate. That's part of the problem is that um, these big contracts, and, and like you said at the beginning of the podcast, with these big contracts and with A-Rod still having money left on his, and Sabathia, who's broken down, and you know who, who even knows what he'll give the team at this point, to share it barely gives him anything. Um, and, and you look at some of the other guys and, you know, you got, you got a chance to bring back Headley and who knows what will happen there. And obviously the Red Sox are in on it too because they need a third baseman. Um, and then you've got, you know, up the middle where there's a holes at second and short and Prado, I don't know if you really want to make him your, your everyday second baseman. Cause you certainly want to be able to move him around the field and have him. Um, I, I think, I do think he, he you know, obviously is going to be a full-time player. He should be able to move around the field and play different positions. So leaving that one glaring hole at shortstop, um, a place they haven't needed, uh, you know, to fill since 1996. Um, and that's pretty insane when you think about that, just, you know, going off, you know, what 18, it's going to be 19 years ago, the last time they needed a, a different opening day shortstop or, you know, except for, uh, when Jeter missed the opening day a couple of years ago, but, um, who do you want to be the shortstop? I know they've been tied to the idea of Hanley Ramirez, who probably isn't a shortstop anymore. Um, and Elvis Andrews has been brought up though. He's sort of declined over the last couple of years and he's only 26 years old. Uh, you know, who's the guy that you think should fill in for Derek Jeter starting this season? Well, I think the, the main thing is that whoever is the shortstop next year is not replacing Derek Jeter. It's going to take years before there's someone who can really become a franchise shortstop. 
I would love it if we had the pieces or found a way to get someone like an Alexi Ramirez who's going to come, he's going to be able to play every day, put up good numbers, um, but that may be a little unrealistic um, because he's only a $10 million a year contract, so it's not like the White Sox are dying to get rid of him, and we probably don't have the prospects to get him. I think the idea of getting like a Hanley Ramirez is terrible. He's over 30. He's a problem in the clubhouse. He's lazy. So you don't really want him. I just, I don't want Steven Drew. Um, no. I just, there's just so much. He's had a good career, and last year was a billion things working against him. But you just can't bring that same guy back because the fans are going to boo him from day one. He's probably going to get in his own head. He's just like he's got, he'll have a case of the yips of, for everything he does. He's better <laughs> off going somewhere else, not coming back to New York, and you know refining his career. So, I mean, my ideal situation would be someone like Hanley Ramirez. I think we're going to have to go out and, and make some kind of trade. Um, I don't I don't think it's going to be an all star caliber player uh, for at least for next year. And when you talk about Prado. The funny thing about him is he'll probably be our everyday second baseman, and he is the only person on that team who you want to be a, uh, a utility player <laughs> on, and the whole team is utility players. Like Everyone <laughs> who should just have a spot is all over the place. The guy who should be moving all over the place is the only guy with a spot. It is kind of backwards, and when it comes to shortstop, obviously they're not going to play... Derek Jeter until they draft a kid who becomes, um, you know, something that they can maybe not hang out to for two decades, but at least, uh, you know, a few years. And um, I, I have thought about Starlin Casher. I know the Cubs obviously have stacked up on prospects through trades, especially with the A's. And uh, they've got a lot of young guys where it's almost like they have now too many guys to, to go into next season. And that's certainly a problem you want to have, but it's one where they need pitching and they need it desperately because all this hype about, you know, the Cubs are, you know, the team of the future and getting Joe Madden and, and all that's great. But if you don't have pitching, which they, they still don't, it does, it's not going to matter, you know, how many bats they have. And I would like to see them make a move for him. And I know, uh, you know, he, he, his first two years were probably better than his last three have been, but he's still young. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. There's just something about the way he's played and, and the couple games the Yankees played against them um, at Wrigley a few years ago where he absolutely d- dominated them. It seemed like he got a double every time up. And everything I've watched of the guy you know, through MLB TV over the last few years, I've liked him. And then I think it's something I'm sure, obviously, they've looked at or, or plan on looking at. But I would like it to be him. And uh, and if it's not him, you know, Troy Tulowitzki um, is – I rarely like, you know, non-Yankees, but he's he's one of the few guys I've always liked. And the problem with him, obviously, is his huge contract and his health issues, and that's a bad combination. They've already had enough of those problems. But I, I would say I'd like it to be either Castro or Tulowitzki. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things with a guy like Tulowitzki is he's had his injury problems, and who knows, you know, with the big contract, you take him out of Colorado, how's that going to translate? But he really wants to be here. There's a lot of guys who, you know, aren't sure if they want to be in New York. I mean, how many times did we trade for Javier Vasquez, and that guy saw the Statue of Liberty and just shit his pants? (laughs) So at least if you have a guy who really wants to be here, who's going to do whatever it takes to be healthy, to make a difference. I mean, hopefully it doesn't do a steroid route like A-Rod did just because it's illegal. But, you know, it's the same thing. He wants to be here. He wants to contribute. He wants to be part of 
you know, a, a rivalry like the Yankees Red Sox. So I, I'd like to see him. I, I wouldn't mind if they took on that contract. If it's not going to be someone like him, like a Thorlin Castro or you know an Alexi Ramirez, they got a few years. They're young. Um, they they have a good possibility to to play well. I think that could be a good fit. But anything really like signing a any of the free agents that are out there, I just don't see as a good fit right now. Yeah, and I know that they've said that they're going to avoid. Um... You know John Lester and and uh, Max Scherzer, which I disagree with. I think they should definitely go get one of those two. And you know if it was a couple of years ago, they'd probably go try to get both of them. But I'd I'd probably prefer Lester than Scherzer, and then Shields. I don't want James Shields really at anything. But if they do get him, you know I guess I'll be happy with it just because of all the injuries that happened in the rotation last year. And I, you know, it's funny because all the Mets fans now they've got young pitching and they think that they're the next big thing too. And uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, yet to be seen. But I, people call like WFAM. They're like, "Hey, you know, we have six starters, seven starters now. Like, we should just trade." Like, and they come up with these stupid trades, and it's almost like having six or seven starters is not enough. And and while it sounds great in November, you know, when one of those guys has shoulder soreness in March, and another gets put on the DL on April tenth, and now you're, you know your rotation's already taking hits, and you look at what happened with the Yankees last year. We thought they had, you know, they stacked rotation. They had guys in the bullpen who could be in the rotation. And then before the end of the April, you know, we were down 80% of the rotation for basically the entire year, I guess. Well, maybe not the entire year, but Tanaka got hurt later on. So you're missing four-fifths of your rotation. And the oldest guy is Hiroki Kuroda. And he's the only one that was stable the entire season, which is pretty ironic. And uh, it just seems like they do need one of those big studs because – Nova's coming back from surgery. CeCe's coming back from a surgery that people thought could end his career. Uh, you know, Kuroda's probably gone. McCarthy is a free agent. Some team might give him more money than the Yankees should. Um, and it just seems like they do need one of those guys, and it would be fun to see John Lester be a Yankee. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it is a very sad state as a Yankee fan that I think we're hoping that Teixeira and Sabathia both have career-ending injuries and we get insurance money back. <laughs> and uh, I think the front office, I mean, that's a prayer that Brian Cashman says about A-Rod probably every night. Uh, so it, it's a really sad state of affairs. But I think I think Nova's going to be fine coming back this year um, from Tommy John. He's been strong uh, throughout his career injury-wise, and now he's, you know, he's had some problems at times, it seemed like he had pulled it all together. We don't know what we're going to get out of CC. Um, apparently, he's healthy, but is he, you know, eighty-two mile an hour healthy? I don't know. Um, Tanaka, we j- we got to hope his arm doesn't fall off because that's a big thing. Is we may have the best pitcher in baseball next year, or we may have a guy that two pitches into the season is done. <laughs> Pineda, who knows what the fuck he's going to do. And then we've got this spot with Kuroda either retiring or maybe coming back for less money if we have the money and he wants to come back. So I think we really need to be a little more aggressive with McCarthy. He didn't have a great beginning of the year. The whole thing, we let him throw his cutter or his slider or something. I don't know. Uh, his wife blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. But, How's that going? You know, Has she unblocked you yet? No, she has not unblocked me. Um, he, he won't respond to me. He, He's like the funniest guy on Twitter. He like, chir- he like chirped you, right? Didn't he like tell you to calm down? 
It was like, yo, relax. And like, we talk about it. I was just like, dude, it's just, I'm a blogger. It's a joke. Like, calm down. And yeah. he was just like, I get it. But like, you know, it's my wife. So <laughs> just relax. And I was like, I get it. I understand. Well, the thing with him, but, um, you know, you say they should resign him and that's, a bigger problem because the Yankees have that, you know, unwritten rule where they won't extend contracts that are still, you know, being played out and they've gone against it. They went against it with Cano the first time. Um, but it did cost them with Cano the second time. And now it could likely cost them with Robertson and it could cost them with, you know, McCarthy too. And it just seems to me like before last season, they could have gotten Robertson on a, you know, a multi-year deal for way cheaper than what it's going to cost him. Now they proved that he can be a closer, which is obviously more valuable on the open market. And when McCarthy came here and he had success, why not just give the guy like three years, $36 million right then? Just be like, and why wouldn't he, you know, maybe he wouldn't take that. Maybe he'd say, I think I could get more on the open market, but at least try to make something work. And I feel like he would have taken that because he got a lesser deal the last time he was a free agent. And here he is coming, you know, off injury, pitching a good one half of a season. It just seems to me like that whole thing about not extending people has got to go because you look around the league and I just saw a thing today how... Evan Lagoria would have been a free agent this offseason, but instead he has a 10-year, $137 million deal. And if Canoa got a 10-year, $240 million deal, well, Evan Lagoria probably would have got $200 million too. So by the Rays taking that gamble that he was going to be good, and everyone knew he was going to be good from the couple weeks he played in the majors when he was you know, 21 years old or whatever, uh, they saved themselves probably $100 million. And it just seems like if you've got these proven commodities like Robertson, who's been here since 08, or McCarthy who came over and shined and proved you know that he could pitch here and it was you know it wasn't any different than what he's done anywhere else. Um, or even someone like Headley, it just seems like why not just extend these guys? They got to scrap that rule. Well, I mean, I think if you like last year, um, McCarthy was terrible with Arizona, and he came to the Yankees. He got seven wins. He had ten wins on the year. That's the most he's ever had, and he made just over ten million dollars last year, which is twice what he's ever made. So it's, I, I think there is a little hesitation right out of the gates to just say, hey, we'll give you $12 million a year. Um, also, you know, making that money in Arizona versus making it in New York is very different. So I can understand why they didn't just jump to just throw the money at him. Plus, he apparently, the Yankees started talking, and he said, you know, I want to kind of see what's out there. He doesn't strike me as a guy who loves New York. You know, there's the players like a his wife loves always, it well his wife his wife loves going to frying pan and probably going to bounce <laughs> and just you know dog parks in Central Park with a bottle of wine breaking the rules <laughs> whatever I mean she's a party girl that's what happens good for her but you know I, I'm actually happy he's not making decisions based on what she likes because that's what Josh Hamilton did and and I hate him <laughs> so I mean I think it would make I think it would make sense to bring him back. But I agree with you, going after someone like a Lester or a Scherzer, because, uh, you know, as I said, the Mets fans are saying, oh, we've got six, we've got seven starters. And it's the exact opposite of the NFL. In the NFL, it's if you've got two quarterbacks, you've got no quarterbacks. In baseball, in real, real major league baseball, where you're trying to make the playoffs and you're trying to win the World Series, if you've got six starters for a five-man rotation, you're probably two starters too short. And I think when it comes to that, I mean, that's part of the reason why – I feel like he is he, he does have that feeling like he's not a New York guy because it seems like they probably could have got something done before it ever got to this point. 
and maybe he'll take money and go elsewhere and you know maybe go back to to the west coast or, or at least uh you know something more west than it is here but um everything he did and maybe he's just saying the right things about you know him enjoying his time here and him him liking everything about it um it, it just gave me the impression that he did want to be here and i think when you look at the rotation, if Tanaka's healthy, if Pineda's healthy, there's your one-two. Um, I don't know what you're going to get as Sabathia anymore. Um, hopefully Nova bounces back and is good again. And, and you certainly have you know Shane Green, who had a good year. Um, you got Phelps, who I don't really trust him, and I don't really want him in the rotation. But if he has to be, I guess he has to be. Um, and then Kuroda, who we've mentioned, and you know, I'd be willing to give Kuroda another one-year deal um, for whatever it's going to cost to keep him here because you know what you're getting out of him. I mean, he's not going to go out and uh, you know light the world on fire and pitch to a, to a you know two twenty ERA and, and win you eighteen games, but he, he's going to go out there and you know give you six seven innings every time in three runs or less. And if a Yankees offense can can get things back on track, that's good enough to for him to get his you know thirteen fourteen wins. Um, so I'd be willing to get corroded back here. And, uh, even though I, I, you know, he fatigued a couple of years ago, I think they played it right with him last year. I think they, you know, realized when they could, you know, push, you know, push their foot on the gas a little more with him and when they needed to let go. And I think they really finally figured out, um, how to keep him successful for six months. And, and I certainly would like to keep him around and put him at the back end of the rotation. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense. Um, it's just, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Speaking of guy or pitchers, would have you watched any of this Japan series? Have like they been doing I know, the past couple You have? No, I have not. Haven't. I, I've been catching the end of the games, like when I wake up. Can you believe? I remember when they used to do these, and it was we're sending Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds, <laughs> Sammy Sosa, and just like all the like heavyweights. Yeah, it's like Chris Capuano. Like Chris Caviano wasn't even on a major league roster until the Yankees got desperate at the end of the season, and now he's basically representing the country. <laughs> and he's, and he's, I saw the team picture the other day, and he had like the uh, pinstripes on, and I and I forgot. I was like, oh, Chris Caviano is a Yankee, and uh, it, maybe if we do our, we could have done a whole everybody gets to be a Yankees one team off just this season. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I don't, is he? I think he's a free agent after this, right? Yeah, he he's is. Got and the thing is, yeah. actually, uh, let me look that up. Because, um, well, they just got Chris Young back, so they're trying to piece together what we saw last season. But uh, Yeah, he is he is a free agent now. He should just have to wear a blank jersey. <laughs> he should just have to wear something plain, like the Japanese teams are just wearing, like some plain thing. He should just have to wear, what? like, an old-time, no-logo, like, 1903 like gray jersey. <laughs> what killed me about this playoffs was uh, seeing Travis Ishikawa on the Giants. You know, winning the World Series in left field. That's what's crazy about the Giants is like not only were they not that good, they had one you know one stud pitcher who carried them. But um, there's just obviously there's something about that team because they they win when it matters and they you know every other year for the last five years they've won the World Series, but. To, for Bruce Bochy to just be like, hey, we our left fielder, you know, they, Pagan got hurt, so they had to rearrange the outfield and figure out what they're going to do. So they're like, we're just going to put a guy in that outfield in the playoffs who's, who has no left field, like, real major league experience. He's a first baseman, and we're just going to see what happens, and they won the World Series. And you know if that was the Yankees, like, when uh, in 06 when they had, like, 20 people trying to fit in the lineup, and they had Abreu and Giambi and Sheffield and Matsui and Damon, and they're trying to get people to play first base, and it was a disaster. And, you know, as soon as Gary Sheffield became the first baseman, like, he got 15 balls hit at him every game. And it just, 
it just disgusts me that not only the Giants can get by by with that, but that it was Travis Shikawa who last season, you know, came, one at bat, right? yeah, two at bats, and he struck out in both on three pitches, I think, and he had. I I need to go back and like find um you know a video of it or something but I remember tweeting about it. It was the worst swing. You like anyone who like anybody who go and find the street and give him a bat and just be like swing this bat. It would not look as bad as this guy looked against major league pitching and there he is like he's hitting the friggin' uh home run to send him the World Series in the NLCS and then he's just like playing this like you know not great but solid enough left field that they could win the World Series. It's it's just disgusting and I uh it makes me it makes me pissed. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees haven't really been a lucky team. It's more of just buying wins, and it looks like we're uh, we might be running out of luck. But <laughs> I agree because what do you think, when you look you at back, when, like the dynasty started with like Jeffrey Mayer, um, and then you look at like you know even things more recently, like in '09 and that game two against the Twins, where. Uh, you know, they're in extra innings, bases loaded, and that ball that Joe Maurer hits is, you know, hits the line, and the ump calls it foul, and it was really fair, and it's like, if that's fair, that clears the bases, they lose that game, it's, the series is tied 1-1, they go to Minnesota, you know, maybe they end up losing that series, they never even win the, you know, we're looking at a 15-year drought, or, you know, about to be a 15-year drought of a World Series, and so maybe their luck, maybe these, like, calls that have gone their way for so long are going to start not going their way. Yeah, um... Do you think when Chris Caballano got on this Japanese series, do you think when he just like <laughs> told the Yankees, I, "Hey, I need a, I need a uniform." Yeah, and they just, they they just sent like, him one. They're like, "I think we still have one. We didn't pack up. We'll send you one." But do you think they were just, oh, "Who is this? <laughs> who Chris? Who?" It just he, blows my mind. What's funny about him is that he like, I have no faith in that guy because when he came over, I was like, "Oh, great, we have like a mid '80s lefty who you know wasn't doing so well in the end all the year before the Red Sox." Didn't have a place for him this year for as bad as they were. But he actually didn't pitch that bad here. I mean, he he would give them, like, pretty quality starts. Um, and, you know, he did, a, he did a decent enough job where I know there was talk about, like, yeah, we'd like to have him back next year. And maybe he's one of those guys that starts the year um, in the bullpen and then, you know, finds his way into the rotation because of injuries again. But, you know, I'm looking at his starts and, you know, going from the end of the season backwards, you know, six and two-thirds, no runs. Five and two thirds, four runs, six innings, no runs, four and a third, four, six and a third, two, six innings, three runs. So, I mean, he was like, he's never making the seventh inning, but the six innings he was giving were pretty good. Yeah, I mean, once, if you look at our rotation, once we were basically eliminated, we weren't that bad, which is pretty No, sad. I know, that's, that's the sad thing, is like they went on that little run, and I know, like, it was a Friday, it was September 12th. Um, I was I was going to I was away for a wedding and right when I got it was a double header in Baltimore as a four game you know the four games over three days yeah and they blew that afternoon game um of course David Robertson blew that game uh I believe he blew that game actually and up until that point I still thought they would make it and then they lost the night game and then they blew the Sunday game too they were up like whatever and Robertson blew that game and it was like that weekend you know they had just come off winning back to back against Tampa Bay. Um, it was that game they won against Tampa Bay where Chris Young hit that walk-off home run. And it just seemed like if they got things going that weekend, they could have still made a run, even though it was still pretty improbable at that time. But you look at how bad teams were down the stretch, and to think about how bad the Yankees were for pretty much the entire season outside of like a – they were like 12-7 and seven to start the year. But to miss the playoffs by only four games is pretty remarkable given how bad they were. And that just goes to show that – 
in this, you know, current five-team format, you have to be awful, like historically, like Red Sox this season and two years ago bad to not even be have it, you know, to not even sniff the playoffs in September. And I think that, you know, it bodes well for them. I was very much against the five-team format because I was so used to, you know, getting in as either the division winner or the wild card, and I figured I don't want to have to play a one-game playoff if we have more wins than a team in the Central. But now, given the the state of baseball and, you know, free agency not being what it once was, um, I'm all for the five-game format, and it's going to be very hard for the Yankees to, you know, not, at least not be in it ever in the final weeks of the season just because for as bad as they were this year and last year, or at least as bad as we consider them to be given Yankee standards, they were still almost in the playoffs both years. Yeah, I mean... It's tough. It's tough because there's not as many teams willing to trade at the trade deadline because more teams are in it, and I do worry about it getting to a point where all right, five teams work. Like maybe we make it six, or you know, they keep expanding. It turns into basically the NBA, where like most of the guys don't play anywhere near the full season because we're kind of resting. We're going to be all right, um, but it also reminds me of that even though the Yankees aren't that great right now, for guys like us that are bloggers and doing podcasts and covering this stuff, it kind of works out for us because at one point, you tweeted something like in 1998 at this point, the Yankees had won like 100 games. And we had won yeah, like they were like 80, this year. 85 and 29, I think. And it was just like, well, what, what happened on sports radio then? <laughs> well, um it's sort of you know the final thing I want to talk about, which was actually the first thing I want to talk about. We kind of did it backwards, but and that is you know going back to us growing up and like the '98 Yankees. You know, I was 11 years old for the most that season and turned 12 at the end of it. And to think that back then, you know, when I'd go to the game with my family, I just like, oh, the Yankees are going to win today. Like you just knew they're going to win when you watch it at home. Oh, they're going to win. Well, we get in the playoffs, we're going to win there too. And you know that lasted for so long. And then it became, well, we're just going to get in the playoffs and then, you know, we'll see what happens. And now it's become to the point of, well, we, let's try to get in the playoffs, which is a pretty miserable thing to think about the last two years and not have any playoff games to go to or to watch. And, you know, for us, for our fans that, you know, grew up uh, only knowing winning and grew up with Derek Jeter um, ever since he became the starting shortstop, you know, how weird is it going to be and, you know, does it change your fandom really going into next season, knowing that that guy's not going to be there anymore? And really baseball is not the same for Yankees fans anymore. I mean, for other, you know, other fans of other teams, they watch the guy retire and certainly they've seen him throughout his career, but not, you know, on the intimate level that we have. And it just seems like, I just have a feeling like things are going to be different. Like I'm not going to, I still care. I still care, obviously, but it's not going to be the same. Where you know you you don't have that cut that tie and that connection to the way you grew up with, and you know when you finally started learning about baseball. It's um, it's definitely something that I worry about. Is what you know what's going to happen this year? How am I going to feel? Because I look at you know when I was even younger, you know when I was a real little kid. I remember my dad bringing me to games all the time and him being really excited about it, but. I don't know if he watches any games this year or cares or has any idea what's going on aside from reading a newspaper and seeing uh, Jeter, A-Rod, whatever the, you know, the top story is. And I've you know, wanted to work in sports for years, and I met with people who did who always said, if you really love sports, don't do it. Because uh, I met with the vice president of marketing for the Giants, and he said, I grew up as the biggest Yankees fan in the world. Now on my TV, I've got a stock ticker. I'm sitting here, you know, in the Meadowlands. 
I don't really care about anything aside from the marketing team, and I have no idea who's on the Yankees right now. Yeah. And that is, you know, that it's the thing that I worry about, is when I walk into the stadium on opening day, I mean, the opening day atmosphere will still kind of carry it a bit, but will it be even close to the same? Will I feel the desire to go to 20 games a year? I don't know. Um, and even beyond just next year, Will it get down to, you know, two years from now and just saying, you know, last year wasn't even really the same at all. Like, let's start having kids and not do anything. <laughs> well, JJ, we, uh, it's been a while since we talked last and, um, I hope we talk, you know, again throughout the off season, because if we talk, that means something happened. Um, if we don't talk at all, that means we're coming into next season with the same exact team that we, you know, uh, played out the string with this season. I hope that doesn't happen. I'm just waiting for, you know, a tweet from John Heyman that says, uh, either, you know, uh, David Robertson signs with, you know, team X for, you know, Y amount of money, which is, you know, will be terrible, or maybe it's, it'll be like uh, 2008, you know, right before Christmas when Teixeira, you know, they sort of got him under the radar, which was unexpected, and maybe we'll land John Lester or Scherzer or someone that, you know, will get you excited and get you back into things uh, as the winter months come. But we'll certainly talk again throughout the offseason, and hopefully this team, at least on paper, looks a lot better than the team this season ended on paper. Yeah, I mean, if we're not on this podcast talking again soon, uh, we'll just have to meet at a bar uh, in between us to drink this <laughs> away because it's going to be rough. But, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, for anyone listening, you can find me on Twitter at BarstoolJJ and uh, occasionally writing blogs on Barstool New York. <laughs> All right, JJ, thanks again. All right, man, take care.